This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Our guest at this time is Mr. Ndandungema, who works as a bar consultant and mixologist. He joins us to provide insight on the extent of the impact the fight against COVID-19 has had on the industry he forms a part of. Mr. Ngema, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. Uh, good to be back on the show. How are you guys doing? We're good, thank you. Please take us through your initial sentiments about the hard lockdown when it was first introduced. What did it mean for you and your ability to continue working? I think I'll speak in general on behalf of everyone in the liquor industry. It's had a very um, a bad effect on uh, trade and income uh, because the initial lockdown, having not had a time frame, it was near impossible to plan. So a lot of retrenchments happened initially. Um, starting first with the uh, most immediate uh, appointments. So they were out the door first, and then subsequently the uh, more longer-serving um, employees at most companies started losing their jobs the longer the lockdown persisted. Um, there was no real plan to um, help these people. Uh, plan for where we're not trading then you know let's maybe rough it out for six months we'll be back and we'll trade but without a plan the biggest impact was that that there's loss of income we don't know when we'll trade again other companies went under completely leaving a lot of people jobless and the biggest thing is that the alcohol industry does not only um feed people within the alcohol industry. The alcohol industry makes use of um, things, uh, goods and services outside of the industry. So you can imagine someone who works in a factory that uh, does bottling and bottle caps and corks and things like that, they lose their jobs as well because there's no clients. So it's just been a a mess in, in, in terms of um, job losses. It's just been a mess all, all across the board. Printers, graphic designers, um, all these other services that sort of are secondary to the actual alcohol products that we produce, um, they've all lost income. And then people who work in the on-trade, which is where I specialize, where it's bars, restaurants, hotels. Uh, we've had hotels shutting down, the entire staff contingent uh, not having employment. And because a lot of the people working in the on-trade, especially in bars and restaurants, um, they don't have... Uh, formal contracts that have uh, things like uh, uh, retirement packages and uh, all sort of medical aid and those benefits. A lot of the guys earn money as they go. So without going to work, they don't earn anything. So for them, it was an immediate stop and loss of income and there's no plan. Now, Mr. Ngema, when we were first introduced to COVID-19 and COVID-19 became a part of our lives and a whole bunch of restrictions were set upon us as citizens of this country, there were many of the restrictions, many elements of the fight against the spread of the virus that we agreed with and many of the bits that we disagreed with. So before we get to the parts you disagreed with, I'd like to get a sense from you as far as the elements of the government's edicts to fight the spread of the virus that you did agree with in terms of the impact that they had on your industry and your way of life. Were there, which which edicts did 
you understand the sense and logic behind being them being introduced um, that you were willing to accept as part of our fight against this pandemic? I think if we can all be honest, um, it was definitely the eventing, uh, the large-scale venues where you have a lot of us packed in there, drinking and having good time. I think it made sense to shut down bars, restaurants initially, um, and event venues and all those sorts of places, churches, all of that where there's mass gathering, it made sense as the virus is airborne and it would pose a potential risk of uh, infection for everyone involved in those spaces. So that made sense and I agreed with that movement. Um, Obviously, as we learned more about the virus, uh, the edict can then be further changed and made more applicable to what we now know. But initially, it made sense to go, everyone just stay at home, um, don't, don't be out there, don't be partying, go out there if absolutely necessary. That made sense to limit the spread. So I fully agree with the government's actions there. And in banning alcohol and on-trade venues, that made sense um, because ultimately, um, we even before the corona pandemic, we knew that uh, a lot of road accidents occur, a lot of issues occur around the use of um, alcohol in our country. Um, and so it was just an easier way to limit the spread and it made sense to keep us all at home not have us drinking out and about in different spaces. In what ways do you believe that the situation wasn't handled well and fairly between the beginning of the pandemic and where we find ourselves today? Because there were certain things you agreed with so surely the government had its shortcomings in the handling of the situation so how do you feel um, what do you think the shortcomings were? How wasn't it handled properly? Look, I think it's very difficult to um, outright blame the government. I think we have to be fair in our assessment and understand that this was a first for everyone involved. Um, The coronavirus pandemic posed a threat that uh, we weren't ready to deal with. And unfortunately, as a country, we were caught with our pants down. A lot of the decisions were knee-jerk reactions, um, but they were done with the idea to save lives. So I really believe it's, it's, it's difficult to lay blame exclusively, but um, a lot of things could have been handled better. I mean, uh, shutting down alcohol completely, I feel, was a bit harsh and over the top, where bottle stores could have continued to operate. We've got delivery services like Bottles App. We've got so many uh, things that could have made alcohol accessible to people. Um, but what we wanted to limit was people actually going out, being everywhere, drinking. So bottle stores could have operated and jobs could have been saved. Um, that, I feel, was a bit excessive. Um, we could have just continued having alcohol served, especially um, in the townships where we have uh, a high unemployment rate. Um, you have a lot of people who maybe just cleaned at the tavern, who provide cleaning services at the tavern, when the tavern closes down and they're not cleaning, there's no income for them. And because there was no real package, if, we, if we're if we honest, there was no real package to save people who weren't earning an income. If it was a situation whereby uh, there was ample money given to people to sit down and stay at home, then we wouldn't be having this chat. But since we know 
the economic situation we're in in our country where uh, we were being downgraded, I think, before the the harsh lockdown of the coronavirus pandemic, um, we should have had an approach that sort of looks at saving people's livelihoods as much as it saves their lives. So as much as we're closing gatherings, um, anything you can do at home without going out. So if you could go buy food at the supermarket, it's the same risk that you would have incurred in going to buy alcohol at the bottle store. So in terms of risk, there's really no difference there. You went out, you're amongst people in the supermarket, you're all wearing your mask, you're all sanitized, you just got different products. So if it's just buying a product, there's no one specific product that puts you more at risk than another. So my sentiments are, we really could have kept the trade of alcohol flowing uh, and limited people's movement and focused solely on people's movement and gathering um, yeah, that's the long and short of my thoughts. Now, Mr. Ngema, at the top of the introduction to us having this conversation with you, if you recall, we mentioned how um, alcohol and nice time form such an integral part of not only the South African identity, but the South African experience. Um, I'm thinking about people who have been fortunate enough to travel to South Africa from various other parts of the world, particularly before COVID became a part of our lives. Um, the World Health organization released a study in 2016 which placed south africa as the fifth highest consumer of alcohol in the world at 28.9 liters of pure alcohol per capita a year and as you as you rightfully um as, as you rightfully noted earlier in one of your responses to our line of questioning the introduction of restrictions curbing the trade and uh, consumption of alcohol were perceived and received as harsh by many sectors of the South African society and the common theme that I certainly noticed in many of the addresses that were given to us by President Cyril Ramaphosa when he would update us on the progress we've made in our fight against the COVID-19 pandemic pointed to a need for the citizens of the country to meet the government halfway in terms of our fight against uh, this pandemic in terms of following restrictions, obeying uh, the curfews, obeying uh, social distancing and all of that. In your opinion, did we as citizens do ourselves any favors in terms of our inability to consume alcohol responsibly and how that contributed to rising case numbers and the reintroduction of alcohol-related restrictions, particularly at the tail end of last year? I think um, there's a lot of factors um, in addressing your question. I think it's wouldn't be fair to solely blame South Africans for the lack of control around alcohol. Uh, you have to look at the historic factors around alcohol consumption in our country and the effects of apartheid. I know everyone sort of shies away from um, mentioning things like that because it sort of comes off as an excuse. But a large percentage of our population does not have a healthy relationship with alcohol. Um, it's sort of something that was not readily available in the current format to everyone. And it's a new thing to a large proportion of our country to have all sorts of alcohol available to you. And with uh, the advent of more and more people uh, reaching the middle class and now affording certain things, I mean, you look at um, our homes and our backgrounds and you realize that 
in maybe two or three generations, you'll have a great-grandfather that had never had a beer, a normal lager. He was probably allowed to only drink traditional beer under the laws of apartheid. And then you have your grandfather, who beer was a norm to, but he never had whiskey. And then you have in our generation, our fathers, that we saw drinking whiskey and the uptake of whiskey in the uh, 90s to the 2000s, where um, in the larger part of the country, um, people were now exposed to those things. And then you have now millennials that have everything at their fingertips and they can afford everything. But there's never been a uh, concerted effort from anyone to teach people um, about um, alcohol consumption. And what you find is that just like with dining etiquette, people are taught about fine dining. And that's why it makes sense. That's why they know how to carry themselves at venues that offer fine dining. They know how to eat there, what fork to use, what knife to use, when. But with alcohol, that hasn't happened. So people have a very dangerous relationship with alcohol where um, alcohol is sometimes an escape for most people from the harsh reality of their lives. And they don't drink it for merrymaking. They don't drink it to appreciate what it is. It's something that's used to just get me there quickly and move on. So you can imagine um, someone else could have a cigarette as their coping mechanism. Someone else could have something else, therapy, whatever it may be. But if you remove someone's coping mechanism and you ban it and you make it illegal, they'll find a way to get that. And as soon as it's readily available again, so when you ban it, it's a problem. They're finding illegal ways to get it. When it's unbanned, they try stockpile because they need their coping mechanism. So there's a lot of factors that aren't actually properly explored and that we couldn't explore in this conversation alone that lead to people's relationship with alcohol in our country. Um, I think, to be fair, um, it was always going to be difficult to control how people um, consume alcohol and what happens. We've never had an experiment like this where in South Africa alcohol is banned. But what history shows us is that in America during Prohibition, when alcohol was banned, you saw a lot of the same symptoms where um, there was a lot of bootlegging um, and people drank a whole lot of um, un, un, uncontrolled spirits where you don't know what went in there. There was a lot of moonshine and people went blind drinking all those spirits. So there's, all, there's a whole lot of factors that occur when you just ban something like alcohol. And I feel like it was never going to be an easy thing to control the situation. So any form of finger pointing wouldn't be fair on either side. Um, It's easier for us to do ourselves a favor and control our drinking habits when we know more and exposed to more. But the general population, we need to be honest about um, South Africa and where we stand. The general population just isn't in a space where they have an appreciation of control and understanding of alcohol and how to use it. Uh, A lot of people are just drinking to have a bit of a nice time outside of their daily struggles. We're we're in a country where a lot of people are poor and it's a coping mechanism. It's a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Um, I think as as we get closer and closer to improving the daily lives of the regular South African, uh, things like control around alcohol will will eventually um, have an uptake. But as things stand, 
it was always going to be difficult. Mr. Ngema, in, in your view, what do you think it will take to get the rest of the nation on side in terms of encouraging responsible drinking? Does government and our leaders need to do more? I mean, what role do we as citizens also need to play? Um, I really think the focus needs to be on education. The same way I remember um, back in the 2000s, we had uh, Love Life and Soul City on all sorts of things around education on the HIV uh, uh, virus and the pandemic we faced then. Um, in the same way, we need a lot of education and training around alcohol, its proper use, its abuse. We really need to and then you also stand up both as the government and as citizens. We need to self-educate about uh, ourselves, yes. about what we drink, what we consume, how it affects us. Um, I think government needs to make the information readily available and easier to access, but also as citizens, we need to um, just take initiative to understand what it is we consume and how it affects us. Because unfortunately, you you guys will know, there's shows like I Blew It, um, where people come into a bit of money and they want to buy um, the most expensive alcohol and it's always sort of centered around spending your money on alcohol and having a nice time because we generally view um, alcohol as a nice time, as an escape. So I, I believe a lot of um, therapists are being trained in the country in all the beautiful varsities we have. There needs to be a, uh, a very um, uh, a very large push and a concerted effort to tackle alcohol abuse in our communities. Um, it's as big an issue as your HIVs, your TPs, your healthcare, and all of that. It's a really big issue, especially in our townships. So the information really needs to be made more accessible on how to consume alcohol correctly, what it is to abuse alcohol, and how do you know when you're doing it? What are the effects, you know? Um, and I think the SAPC is a perfect platform, the same way there were shows like Soul Party, Soul City, all those things for the HIV pandemic. We need to really have way, creative ways to engage around the topic of alcohol abuse and how it's affecting our communities. And to conclude our discussion, Mr. Ngema, we are fast approaching the next phase of the vaccine rollout in South Africa. The A lot's been made about where we currently stand as far as the progress we are making on that front. Uh, still under the 300,000 mark as far as total uh, vaccines administered across the country. The next phase is due to begin in the month of May as per the latest, re- uh, latest update from President Cyril Ramaphosa. So with the goal to still achieve herd immunity with the view that our achievement of herd immunity will get us ever closer to somewhat of a normal life. In what ways do you think the alcohol industry relevant stakeholders as well as us, the citizens of the country who participate in the upkeep and the maintenance of the alcohol industry by going to restaurants, going to bars, buying um, the drinks and um, continuing to engage with um, alcohol as uh, as a form of escape or any other um, vice as you mentioned earlier. In what ways do all of us um, need to 
participate in order to adapt to the quote new normal in order to make sure that people can enjoy nights out at restaurants and bars safely when we get to this hallowed point of herd immunity at the tail end of a successful vaccine rollout and how do we as citizens participate in this as well as hold each other accountable to ensure that the safety remains intact and preserved um i think it's a matter of firstly following the guidelines our government has set out, wearing our masks, sanitizing, um, making sure that we're social distancing. Ultimately, we're facing an airborne pathogen, and we need to make sure as many people uh, aren't infected and reinfected um, as possible when we go and enjoy our, uh, our norms that we had before the pandemic. Uh, the truth is things will never be the same. The truth is we do need to adapt. Um, as citizens, we need to meet our leaders halfway in our daily actions as well. We need to really follow the guidelines. We need to sanitize our spaces. I think especially as the hospitality industry, we need to make an even bigger effort to keep our spaces cleaner and safer for our patrons to come and enjoy um it's difficult for everyone um that is acknowledged it's difficult for everyone but we also need to make it easier for ourselves and the government i think when there's less drunk driving and accidents and i remember the president had mentioned that um the hospitals do get slammed with uh we're trying to fight the pandemic on one end and then there's a whole lot of um, people coming into the casualty wards with injuries that are alcohol related i think um look if we could all just be a bit more responsible um don't drink and drive um work hand in hand i mean with with the authorities in making sure that it's easier to fight this pandemic uh whatever is outlined to us ultimately um, our government has our best interest at heart and they're just trying to save lives. We're lobbying to save our livelihoods as well um, and it's a, it's a big knock-on effect for everyone. I think if we hold each other accountable in uh, social distancing uh, from the very bottom, from the taxi ranks right down to restaurants, in all the spaces where we gather, in churches, um, everywhere. If we make sure we're social distancing, we're sanitizing, we're wearing our masks, we're following the guidelines that we've been given, um, I think we can really make it easier to achieve uh, that herd immunity and reach that target. Our guest at this time, Mr. Ndando Ngema, works as a bar consultant and a mixologist, and he's just joined us on the COVID report to give us some insight into the ways in which the COVID-19 pandemic impacted the alcohol industry that not only he is involved in, but he is so passionate about, and the ways in which we can all come together to bring each other on side to make the fight against the spread of the COVID-19 virus and this consequent pandemic a lot easier to manage. Mr. Ngema, thank you so much for joining us and for giving us this valuable insight into your area of expertise and how it was impacted by this pandemic. I sincerely hope that everyone listening heeds your call to continue to stay safe, to continue to hold other people accountable in terms of staying safe. And hopefully uh, we can uh, go to this 
um, this mystical period that none of us know exactly what it will look like as far as this new normal is concerned and we can all enter that new normal safe and sound. So again, thank you so much for joining us on the COVID report, sir. Thank you so much for having me, guys. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1 or stream by www.vafm.co.za.